Welcome to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skrupski here at Hopkins looking at my friend and colleague, Dr. Robert Bob Tillman. How you doing, Bob? I'm great, Kim. Of course you are. I expect nothing less than greatness from Dr. Robert Tillman, who is an associate professor in the Department of Education, Innovation, and Technology, the director of professional development and mentoring in the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences, and the Assistant Dean of Faculty Affairs and Faculty Development at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you so much, Kim. I am so happy to finally be on your podcast. You finally wrung my arm out enough, uh, and it's great to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm so, so, i always so happy to see your smiling face. Now, podcast listeners, Dr. Tillman is here because He's all about the one nugget, the one thing, because he's so aware of our faculty who are pressed for time, so much to do, no time to do it, inadequate resources to do it, just pressed and pressure points and tension points of so many things going on. So Bob is always conscious of saying, let's just look at one thing, one nugget. What can we do that's efficient and respectful of faculty's time. So Dr. Bob Tillman is going to talk about one thing, one nugget. Take it away, Bob. Okay. So what is that one thing? And that's what I always talk to people about. So my one thing is maybe not just going to be one thing, but we're going to one thing at a time. How about that, Kim? (laughs) So thanks for being on the podcast, Bob. (laughs) This has been Dr. Bob Tillman. What is that one thing? I hope you got a lot of information from that. I love it. So we we rehearsed this. I'm thinking, won't that be hysterical to just say one thing and then peace out on the podcast? Yeah, it's kind of like a Seinfeld thing, right? (laughs) It's the one thing, Kim. (laughs) Just one thing. So no. So Dr. Tillman has some great content and great ideas and wisdom around things like self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is something that exists in all of us, but it's also affected by people outside. And so let's start there, because I think if we have a good sense of self-efficacy, engaging with our strengths becomes a lot easier. And then as we think about, because we're in faculty development and we do development and we want our faculty to attend our sessions, as they think about reverse mentoring, functional mentoring, those are great approaches that you can engage with in order to develop your talent and to develop those strengths that you have. So I love that progression. That's how we're going to take them. Uh, And I love that you're splitting up in 15 minutes because my attention span is about eight. that means I can get through eight and really, really suffer through through the last seven and a half. (laughs) I tell people, I know you're listening to these podcasts on like double and triple speed. So they're going to hear it in like a minute and a half. (laughs) I love it, right? Technology has really improved our lives. (laughs) I'm so ridiculous that I purposely listen to podcasts and YouTubes on double. I think double is the highest, two or 2.5 speed. And then I am so ridiculous that I'll get mad at the person going, why does he talk so fast? I can barely understand what he's saying. Like, how does he expect me to learn anything from this? And I'm like, Kim, you are so ridiculous. Slow it down to his normal speed. You're the one who's making him sound like a chipmunk. But yeah, because of course we have no time to actually sit down like a human being and listen. But yeah, we, we got Wonderful. I know. Exactly. So let's dig into this. So let's talk first about self 
efficacy. And where I really engaged with this and became interested in this topic was when I was training to do the mentor training that was funded first underneath the National Research Mentoring Network. And then it's carried on underneath simmerproject.org, C-I-M-E-R uh, project.org. Uh, that's based out of the University of Wisconsin. And so there was a module on, on self-efficacy that is still part and is still taught. And it's something that I always include because just from my experience of working with faculty, my experience of reflecting back on my own uh, progression, right, in academe, I was just like, oh, yeah, it is powerful. So what am I talking about? So self-efficacy, according to the psychologist Albert Bandura, right, who was from Stanford and really developed this concept, um, is simply your own belief in your own ability to succeed in a particular situation or to accomplish a task. So some people will say there can be a generalizable sense of it, like I can do this, right? Simply, I can do this when faced with some task. But it can also be very, and it can be more general, but it can also be about a particular task. You know, like I believe that I can write this abstract, right? I believe I can do this clinical exam. Uh, and, And particularly with working with students is where it comes up. But I also constantly speak with faculty. And, you know, there's always this question of, well, I don't know whether I can take this next step. And I think as intelligent, highly accomplished people, which I would say physicians and scientists and all the rest of us in academe are, um, we're usually highly accomplished. We've done a lot of accomplishments, but we sometimes are hesitant to push the envelope, right? Like we like to push the envelope, but only to the place where we feel comfortable. Um, And so within this setting, as we think about a particular task for self-efficacy, why do we do this, right? Why do we do a task? And importantly, and I think this is where it's really fascinating, it describes performance. So self-efficacy underlies a lot of our performance. And sometimes with students, sometimes within ourselves, like we know a person can do it, but why don't they do it? right? I've seen this person do it, but now they're awful hesitant to do it. Mm. And when we under, you know, when we peel back the curtain, what we're probably finding is self-efficacy is at play. Mm. And, and so like within the training and stuff, self, you know, Albert Bandura defined four sources of it. Um, And there's actually a fifth because some other people have, have studied this and, and, and I'll share with you that fifth as well. So let's go through that really, really simple. So those four primary sources of self-efficacy that Albert Bandura kind of defined and recognized was one, a mastery of experience. And and that's the greatest source of it. And it makes sense, right? If I've had success in a past experience doing something related to the task at hand, I'm more likely to be able to do it, right? And have the confidence I'm able to do that. And so that's very important, you know, within any type of training learning environment and medicine is, is, is no less of that environment. And so, you know, within that, I always tell people around the master of experience is how do we get there? And as as educators and as teachers, you know, part of that is to recognize that master of experience is just not one step. Like you don't get to doing a good clinical exam by just saying, here's the patient, go to it. 
right? So there's these steps and in, in, in everything we do, right? There's this learning step, writing a paper, right? I said like, well, if the person doesn't know how to find the references to the paper, let's start there, right? Or, you know, so there's all these elements. And so important to that mastery of experience is, you know, if that gap between the steps is too wide, then we fail and that decreases our self-efficacy. And so that battery goes a little bit lower. And if it's too wide, we get, and if it's, if it's too narrow, right, we know how to do this, we get bored. And so, you know, we see this with the students sometimes, right? And we're always, you know, gauging, like, where are you at? Like, what do you know what, how to do? We observe them like, oh, you do that well, right? So let's maybe give you a greater challenge and let's move on to that next step. So mastery of experiences is that number one source vicarious learning and modeling, which is observing others perform that task well, and others we identify with. And so I think, you know, this concept, you know, is particularly relevant to us as we think about inclusion and diversity as well. So, you know, who do we relate to? Is it an older student that we identify with? Is it a faculty member we identify with? And, and it's really on those salient aspects of identity, right, that we identify with others. And we don't always know what those are. Those are inherent to the, to, to the person. And so one of the important things, whether I'm doing coaching or mentoring or just sometimes advising, is I'll say, like, you know, who's a role model for you, right? Like, how did you get interested in this field? What interests you in moving into a certain direction or not? And, and so I say, you know, what is it about that person that's going to be important? And so I think that's very important. I always joke um, because we're around the qualifying exam time and I'm in the graduate school. And, you know, if the first person fails their qual, but that's the person that seems to be the smartest, right? Everyone's petrified when they go in, Ooh. right? <laughs> it's this effect. And so being aware of that, you know, just with vicarious learning. And the second one is also important because I think we can have the most direct impact on that as faculty members and as teachers mm. and educators, and that is social per per persuasion. So it's the positive, negative feedback, encouragement or discouragement we give to others. And so, yes, that is very relevant. You know, we, uh, you know, we have a million one courses on feedback. We're always trying to improve it. Uh, you know, if someone mastered that well and got people to do it well, probably including myself, you know, they would be the richest person in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but as we think about, it's so, so in, important. And that's one of the reasons why giving feedback, right, both positive and maybe more positive than negative <laughs> is the most important. Uh, but how it's done, not only by teachers and educators, but also thinking about the environment that's going on within your teams, right, the peers, other trainees, you know, when you're going on rounds, you know, what is the conversation going on, right? How do you manage that? as the attending, right? Or as the person kind of the, the, uh, the uh, leader showing up in that space. Um, and there's an interesting, I, I need to go back and find the original study, but I found this to be very interesting in the power of social persuasion as an element of, of, of fostering self-efficacy. So Claude Steele wrote this article in the Chronicle and it's been a few years, but it was around, you know, like, the language that we're using on campus, right? And how it seems to be polarizing. But within that article, he gave an example of, uh, and this was at a university in California in, in, a, in a chemistry department, that at the beginning of the semester, they changed one thing one year. And, 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 and what they changed was they told everyone 
first year students as they were sitting there, you are here because we know you can do this. You are selected to be here. We expect you to accomplish two papers at the end of your graduate studies. And they looked at attrition, you know, who kept up and what did they produce at the end? And they found all things, as far as they know, being equal, just that statement produced the results. Most people were graduating, they were staying in, they were producing those two papers. And so I think that's a powerful indicator, right? Like words do matter and social persuasion is so important. And that's something we can do. Vicarious learning can be tough, right? Because sometimes that's hiring for people. Sometimes that's, that, that's, that's a, a, a exposure to people. But social persuasion is something we can all do and we should be so mindful of. And the other one I think is always interesting too is the, phys, uh, is the physiological and emotional states that we are in when we're performing something. Um, and, and, and that affects our performance. And so I like to, you know, I think a great example of that is, right, public speaking, I think, is the number one fear, right, that we have our brand up there with, with clowns, right? Public speaking and clowns are always at the highest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Ever yes. since Stephen King came along, he ruined clowns for so many people. I'm one of them. Yeah, that might be a good variable, right? In the in the uh, in the uh, in the uh, study of fears, right? Like, did clowns pop up there after Stephen King, right, wrote it, <laughs> or not? Um, but just to appreciate that those things impact our performance, and I, I think you know it's intuitive if we were to stop and think about that. But you know, like, let's say I go up and give public speaking, I'm nervous at it what happens if I didn't do well that first time? And someone's social persuasion was, well, that kind of sucked, you know, <laughs> it didn't go so well. How am I going to feel when I have to go up and speak again? Mm. Right. My heart's going to be racing. My mind's going to be, you know, uh, yeah. probably one of three modes, right? Flight, fight, or freeze. <laughs> yeah. the three default modes, probably not the best for public speaking. So, you know, Feeling anxious, stress, and fatigue can lower our self-efficacy, while calm and more positive emotional states enhance it. So I always like to say, as we think back, right, wellness and well-being and stress management, you know, it's, it's so prevalent, right? But part of that is just that if we're going to be our best, clearly uh, it's important to really have being able to manage, right, that emotional state as well as our physiological states that come with that. Um, so, and then the final one, which, which I like, because I think we do a lot of it, definitely in, in medical fields, there, there, there's a lot of it. Um, but James Maddox, who is a self-efficacy researcher proposed in 1995, so a little bit after Albert Bandura published those for, um, for, you know, kind of, uh, for factors, right, of self-efficacy, was he actually suggested that visualization is a fifth, a, a fifth source of it. And so I know in surgery, right, imagine the steps that you're going to go through. You know, actors do this, uh, athletes do this, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we probably first heard of that in those fields, and I think it's come into that. But being able to visualize what does success look like and what does that process look like mm. and help improve our sense of self-efficacy. I, I love this reminder of, you know, Bandura. Back in the day, this is kind of sounding familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm putting myself in the shoes of so many faculty members that I coach and my colleagues coach. And I couldn't help but saying when, you know, you started this whole thing off, Bob, you said, you know, self-efficacy is, you know, thinking the, the I believe I can do it. Mm-hmm. I believe I can write the abstract. I believe I can do a patient, you know, assessment. I believe I can write the grant. I believe I can um, teach the course. I can, I believe I can do all these things. But then two things popped in my mind, but I don't want to, or I don't have time to. And so I, every, you've been going through this list of um, reminding us of the sources and factors of self-efficacy, and you're helping me think of coaching who, this is a common refrain, I don't have time. Yeah, I believe I can do it. So I may have high self-efficacy, but maybe I don't have high self-efficacy around the fact that um, I'm capable of doing, I believe I can do it. But either I don't want to, I've lost interest in it, or I don't have time to do it. So it's kind of an interesting thing on the self-efficacy. It's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. And, and you know, if you look at the original model, right? So this is a pod, pod, podcast, so we're not going to do that, that, that di- diagram for you. Because even when I have the diagram, like people are overwhelmed and it takes me two minutes to go through it. But importantly, like self-efficacy is that belief. Right. But the other aspect when we make goals, right? And and really what we're talking about is if you're accomplishing a task, I believe this goal is worthwhile. It's worth, it is my priority and worth my time in this moment to do this particular task. And so that's important, right? Other things go into our choices of actually deciding to pursue a task. One is it, is this the most important thing for me? Right? Do I believe doing this is going to ultimately help me accomplish my goal? Mm. So, you know, I always like to, you know, the example I give is like, you know, running, right? If, or let's say like, you know, my doctor said, you know, I need to improve my cardiac health, right? So part of it needs to be, you know, is it going to be running? Do I, you know, if I don't believe running is really going to help me however, how far I want to run, <laughs> you know, under his advice, or he's telling me I need to run, you know, that's, that's the first thing, right? If I don't believe running is going to be the way I'm going to do that, or it's going to be the most productive method, doesn't believe whether or not I believe I can run, right? It's just that it's not worth it for me. Mm-hmm. And so self-efficacy comes into, you know, I, I think it's when we do decide to do something, how are those sources impacting, right? Our belief that we can do that. Not whether we can do it, but our belief is important because if we don't believe in it, we're not going to do it. Oh, I love that clarification, Bob. I really, let me think about that for a moment. If we don't believe it, yeah, so that it's the confidence. So it's, it gets to the confidence that once I make, a decision and a commitment mm-hmm. to a goal and decide that it mm-hmm. is a priority. Um, the confidence that I can do it, it will be done. And maybe yeah. I'm putting my coaching hat on. Oh, I've been here before. I've been in a similar place like this. I can figure out how to get this done. Yes. It's I, performance, right? Not whether you can do it, but the degree you're going to be performing it, Right whether you want to perform, right? And so that's why it can wax and wane. So that's the battery. You know, it's a good battery, uh, you know, it's like the power is, is, you know, like the battery has the potential, right? You have the potential, 
self-efficacy is where's the power level at such that, you know, if you're, if you're topped up on self-efficacy, you're going to go for that, right? You're going to accomplish that task, you know, and, and, and what's, and when we're doing something we really like, and we have a high source of self-efficacy, the challenges become easier to overcome, right? Mm -hmm. So we view those challenging things as, oh, it's a challenge, but I'm going to do that. Yeah. Right. Whereas if I'm, you know, if I have that potential, but I'm low on self-efficacy, it's going to be like, oh, that's a real challenge. And it's going to sap more of that energy away. Got it. Got it. So what's the one thing? Where's the nugget? Leave us with a nugget, Dr. Bob Tillman. Yeah. I think the nugget there is within my own life, right? Or maybe with a trainee, if you're engaged with that, just to ask, what sources of self-efficacy do I need, Mm. right? What what sources of self-efficacy does that trainee need? How am I going to give it? How am I going to provide it? It's like a checklist. It's just a checklist, you know, and listen for that. You know, listen for that in others. Listen to yourself for where is that at? Like, I haven't had a positive word, right? Back in like the last week, right? How am I? And sometimes with positive word, it's just giving a positive word to someone and they're giving it back to you, right? And so, (laughs) but you know, how am I going to do that? Or, you know, I'm kind of lost, right? You know, I, you know, maybe, you know, I want to move on. I feel stuck, right? Who, you know, who can I look to? Who can I talk to? Might be a mentoring type of role model, but likely it might be, you know, who's that person that I see doing that well? And that's that vicarious, you know, experience. Uh, Maybe it's time for a challenge, right? Maybe we're stuck in a rut. And it's like, you know, what's that next thing that I really am passionate about? And this leads into strengths. But what am I really passionate about? And how am I going to like take that next step in it? Right? How am I going to spend more of my time and venture into that? Hmm. What a great, great starting point to empower yourself, doing a level setting. Where are we? I, I kind of think of it as like a mom or a dad racing out the door, taking the kids to soccer practice or going on vacation. That's kind of that moment of, wait a minute, do we have the uh, diaper bag, the keys, the passports? Do we have the, we lock the front door? Did we turn off the car? I mean, that kind of checklist of like, we're about to do something, something, something's about to happen. Yes. Do we have everything we need. Ready, set, go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I like to say self-efficacy, those sources are like oxygen to us. Mm. They really are the oxygen because I think we're capable of doing so many things. But if those sources of oxygen aren't there, a lot of times we're just not going to take it. All right. Love that nugget within your own life. When you're coaching, when you're teaching, ask, inquire, be curious. What sources of self-efficacy are needed? within me, within this learner. Boom. Dr. Robert Bob Tillman, you are such a gem. And I thank you so much. I value your collaboration. I value your collegial. I value your friendship. And thank you so much. Very sincere. Thank you. 
Hi everyone, it's your podcast producer, Casey Callanan. Just wanted to let you know that as of February 1st, 2024, this podcast has had more than 87,000 total downloads and YouTube views from listeners and viewers in 95 different countries. And the Faculty Factory website, facultyfactory.org, has drawn nearly 41,000 web visitors from users in 122 different countries. It's truly an international platform, and we would love to invite you to be a guest on our show. Our host, Dr. Kimberly Skorupski, makes the experience very engaging, relaxing, fun. It is a great experience. As producer, I'll make the edits. So if you need to have any edits on the back end, I'm happy to do that for you. No pressure to nail the interview on the first shot or if there's a mistake or even a friendly dog barking in the background, we'll take care of that. So please reach out to us if you would like to be a guest or nominate someone in our academic medicine community to be a guest. You can visit the contact us page on facultyfactory.org to send us a message, or you can contact Dr. Skorupski, our host, directly by emailing her at kskorupski at jhmi.edu. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.